0: well good morning everybody okay all right it's so good to see all of you here today and everybody watching online thank you so much for joining us today as we're in week four of our series on jeremiah and and last week our student minister trey he gave an incredible incredible message and if you missed it please go back on our website and watch it i promise you will not regret it. But he, he said many things in the message, but, but one thing in particular that, that Trey said that, that just really, really resonated with me. It resonated with me to the point that as soon as I, I heard it, I took out my phone and I, um, I, I immediately wrote it down and I emailed it to myself just to make sure I didn't forget it. And this is what he said, you cannot believe your way out of something you behaved your way into. You cannot believe your way out of something you behaved your way into. And man, there is so much truth to that statement. But I think that this may be one of those statements that people who do not have a relationship with Jesus are able to appreciate a little bit more than those who do have a relationship with Jesus. And the reason why I say that is because I think that there, there's, there's time, there, there's this, this um, uh, temptation that whenever we have a relationship with Jesus, whenever we come to Jesus, whether it's for the first time or maybe we've gotten way off path and we're coming back for the 500th time, but, but there's this, this temptation to think that as long as I come to Jesus, as long as I surrender to Jesus, then everything should just be fine, right? Right? But there's this whole thing that that we can struggle to understand that even after we are forgiven of our sins, that we still may have to face the consequences for our sins. I remember ministering at at this little church in, in southeast Kansas and and there was this man in our community who had a, a very notorious reputation. He was known to be a drug addict. He was known to be a criminal of various forms. And, and, and one night, he was not in his right mind, and, and, and he went walking through this alley. And I don't remember all the details to the story, but essentially, as he was going through this valley, he, alley, he, he saw this, this this man who was working in his garage and so he goes into the garage and he pulls some sort of weapon out on this man and then steals some of the belongings from the man's garage eventually he's arrested for this and I know I'm, I'm, I'm telling this story and I have a lawyer or two in here today and I, I I don't know how everything played out exactly but I do know that before his trial before his sentencing there was this period of probably five or six weeks that he wasn't in jail and over the course of those five to six weeks, he started coming to our church. And he showed up every single week, and probably by like week three or week four, he was baptized. And and and, and every week, he would come up, and he would ask me to pray for him. And, and I'd say, yeah, what, what do you want to pray about? And he said, I want you to pray that I don't have to go to prison. Or I want you to pray that if I do go to prison, that my sentence is very, very lenient. And I said... Okay, I mean, we can pray for whatever you want to pray for, that's fine. But then he asked if if he could meet with me, and sure, you know, let's meet. And so we get together, he says, Andy, I need something from you. I said, what's that? He said, I need you to write a letter to the judge on my behalf. And then I need you to show up at my trial and be willing to be a character witness for me uh, in, in, in front of the jury. I said, okay, but I, I just want you to, to realize I've known you for like five weeks. I am more than happy to tell the judge what I've seen in you in five weeks, but I can promise you the judge is going to understand I've known you for five weeks. And so I, I, I did it and I, I wrote the letter and everything, but then I, 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 I said to him, but, but here's the thing I really want you to know. You can have confidence that you have been forgiven by Jesus, but the United States judicial system is not known to be nearly as gracious, <laughs> and he ended up going to Prison. And to his credit, I mean, we, we sent him CDs. That kind of dates when this happened a little bit. We sent him CDs of every week's message. We sent him Bible study material. And, and he ended up actually leading several Bible studies while he was in prison. And from everything we could see, his relationship truly grew while he was incarcerated. But a relationship with Jesus can forgive you of your past, but it does not automatically eliminate the consequences of your past. Because you cannot believe your way out of something you behaved your way into. But unfortunately for the people of Judah, that's exactly where they found themselves. They had made a mockery of this covenant that God had made with them. And this wasn't anything new. This is something that had been taking place for generation after generation after generation. They had broken the commandments of God. They were guilty of committing idolatry. They were even guilty of participating in things like child sacrifice. They were guilty of idolatry. They were a very promiscuous people. They were guilty of creating corrupt systems that led to injustice and oppression. They took advantage of the most vulnerable among them. But they thought that everything was fine. They thought that everything was okay because they kept showing up to the temple. They, they, they continued to say that they believed all the right things, but their beliefs never translated to their lives. And so God called Jeremiah to be his spokesperson to the people of Judah. And Jeremiah, he preached, but the people of Judah, they ignored him. So Jeremiah, he warned them, but the people of Judah, they hated him. But he continued to preach, and they persecuted him. But he continued to warn, he continued to preach, and they continued to ignore, and they continued to persecute And in our text today, we are going to see what what God has been warning the people of Judah about, like like it's here, it's now. Babylon is going to come in and take control of Jerusalem and take captive the people of Judah. Jeremiah has told them that that they should not resist this because you've ignored all the warnings, they had ignored all the warnings that Jeremiah had given them, but now it was time that they were going to face the consequences for their actions. And in our text, we're going to see this man by the name of Zedekiah. And Zedekiah, he was the king of Judah at this period of time. And in fact, Zedekiah ended up being the final king of Judah. And if you read through the books of First and Second Kings, you end up reading about all the kings of Israel and all the kings of Judah. And more times than not, you have this little tag with each of the kings. It says that, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Zedekiah, he was one of the kings who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But the reason Zedekiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord was not just because of what he did, but a large part of the reason that Zedekiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord is because of what he allowed and what he didn't do. Zedekiah, he was a man of weak character. He was, he, he, it's possible that Zedekiah was a man who had some good impulses, but he had no ability to stand up to the bad influences Around him, I read this this week as I was reading about Zedekiah, and and one one, one person said that Zedekiah, he had a wishbone instead of a backbone. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun, right? He had a wishbone instead of a backbone. So, So here we are. Zedekiah is in charge, at least by position. But the people are really getting tired of Jeremiah's what they consider less than uplifting messages. And the story picks up here in Jeremiah chapter 38 in verse 1. It says this. Shephatiah the son of Matan; Gedaliah the son of Pashur, Jehucal the son of Shelemiah and Pashur the son of Melchijah heard what Jeremiah was telling the people when he said. So all of these guys who have really really cool names, they 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 they, they, they were these princes of Judah who who had some sort of a connection to the royal family and and because of their connection to the royal family, I mean, they were people of power, they were people of prestige, they were people of great wealth. And, 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 and so whenever Jeremiah kept talking about Babylon coming in and, and what Babylon was going to do, they pushed back hard because it went completely against their agenda. It went, it, they, they knew that they had a lot to lose in this situation. And so these men, they heard Jeremiah say something, and this is what Jeremiah said. He says, this is what the Lord says. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes over to Babylon, so whoever surrenders to Babylon, they will live. They will escape with their lives. They will live. This is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. And as this book and, and as Jeremiah's my, my ministry has gone on, this message that Jeremiah is preaching right here, I mean, this message, you could have just taken it right out of Trey's sermon last week. This has become his message over and over and over again. Go to Babylon and live, but if you stay here, you're going to experience all kinds of pain. And again, last week, Trey, he talked about these four parts of of the creation story of of mankind. He said that that, that you have the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You have the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, where sin came and and infiltrated the world. You have the redemption of mankind through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. But then you also have this fourth part, the restoration of all mankind, which has been taking place from the resurrection all the way through today until, and, and will continue all throughout all eternity. And so all throughout this story of Jeremiah, if you look close enough, you can see the gospel story just sprinkled throughout. You can see the gospel story being communicated over and over again. Follow with me here. We live in a fallen world full of fallen people, and there are consequences for the actions of fallen people in the fallen world. But life is still available. and hope is still available to those who will take it. And as Jeremiah has done throughout his ministry, Jeremiah is telling the people, you need to surrender to the Babylonians so that you can live, so that you can plant, plant, plant roots as you, as you wait for God's promised restoration of his people. And throughout this story, no matter how negatively the people responded to Jeremiah's message, he remained faithful and he remained obedient. He continued to preach the message again and again and again. And again, no matter how they responded. And at this point in in the story, the patience of Jeremiah's audience is completely, completely gone. So in verse four, it says, Then the officials, those same guys from verse one, they said to King Zedekiah, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city. So by that phrase right there, we know that there are some soldiers and there are some people who have already left the city. Maybe they've already surrendered to Babylon. Maybe there were some soldiers who were guarding the city walls and and, and they have already lost their lives. But he's saying that that he is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city as well as all the people by the things that he is saying to them. This man, listen, this man is not seeking the good of the people, but he is seeking their ruin. And so this group of men, they had the influence over the king to to tell the king that he needs to kill Jeremiah. Why? Because his words are hurting their feelings. Because his words are discouraging them. Because his words are hurting the morale of the people who are left in the city. And you remember, this is a group of men who had a lot to lose. They had their status, they had their power, they had their prestige, they had their wealth, they had their possessions. And they didn't want to lose all those things, and so they thought if we just get rid of Jeremiah, the one who is warning us about all this, then everything else will disappear as well. But man, we see something in, in, in the way that these men responded, and it's something we still see to this day. Something ugly happens when we put our own gain in front of the good of the people something ugly happens when we put our own self gain in front of the good of the people this is true on macro levels if you look at you know world governments or whatever it's true there but it's also true in micro levels in your home at your workplace something ugly happens when we make ourselves number 1 when we don't surrender when we don't consider others better than ourselves And these men, they didn't like what Jeremiah was saying, so they wanted him dead. And it reminds me so much of, of what the Apostle Paul would say to Timothy hundreds of years later in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul said this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And church... May we take heed of the words of the Apostle Paul. May we recognize the fact that we are living in a day in an age that is full of echo chambers. That we are living in a time to where you don't have to look very far to find somebody who's going to agree with you. You don't have to look very far who's going to further your stance in what it is that you already believe to be true. And the dangerous part here is that, is that as we, we we in these echo chambers, as we deepen our stance, we often subconsciously even learn to just write off those who disagree with us. And it should not be hard for us as Jesus followers to see that writing off group of, a group of people just because they disagree with us is not what Jesus would have us to do. But this has become a cultural thing that has bled into all areas of our lives. And if we're not careful, whenever we live in these echo chambers, we, we, we will be people who stop growing. We'll be people who stop learning. We'll be people who completely, completely lack empathy. We'll be a group of people who just look for that next gotcha moment instead of trying to find a way to lend a hoping hand. If we are not careful, we'll become people with itching ears and only letting the voices that scratch that itch to have a voice in our lives. But Paul warned us of this, and Jeremiah experienced this, and what we can see from the warning and their experience is that this, this ought not to be the case. Because these men, they had it all wrong about Paul. Or excuse me, about Jeremiah. They said that Jeremiah was seeking their harm, that he was seeking their ruin. And, and we know that Jeremiah was not looking to be the one to have to preach this message Jeremiah was not looking to to be the one to have to, he didn't love the fact that he was the one who had to preach this message over and over and over again. He didn't like preaching about their destruction and their doom and this catastrophe that was coming, but obedience is hard. But by being faithful and preaching this message, he gave the people of Judah their only chance of survival against the Babylonians. Sometimes whenever we do what God has called us to do, We may be accused of of the exact opposite of what our attentions are. Some of you have experienced this. Many of you have seen this play out. But it's not just true for us today. It's been true all throughout Scripture as well. You look at Moses, and and Moses over and over again was accused of being a prideful leader. But Moses, in fact, was such a humble leader. You you, you look at somebody like Job, and Job was such a righteous man who was walking on this earth. But his friends come and tell him that he's facing all these tribulations because of his unrighteousness. You you look at Jesus, and I mean, Jesus is literally the most spirit-filled person to ever Set foot on this planet. Yet he was told over and over again that he was possessed by demons. Peter experienced this, Paul experienced it in the list. It could go on and on and on. And all Jeremiah was trying to do was warn the people of what was to come. But instead, because of these men, Jeremiah's fate now is in the hands of King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah says this Hey, he's in your hands. The king can do nothing to oppose you. It's pretty crazy whenever we go through the Easter story, right, and we see Pilate, and and it it, it appears over and over again, Pilate's like trying to let Jesus go, trying to let Jesus go. But eventually he brings Barabbas out on the stage and says, you can have Barabbas, this insider of riots, or you can have Jesus, the one who claims to be the king of the Jews. And they say, give us Barabbas, and... Okay, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate's like, I'm I'm washing my hands of this. Little do we know in the Easter story just how much of a page Pilate took out of King Zedekiah's playbook. But King Zedekiah essentially says, I'm washing my hands of this. Do with him as you please. And so they took Jeremiah, and they put him into the cistern of Melchijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. And they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud. And Jeremiah, he sank down deep into the mud. There are a couple of applications that I want to make today. The first one is this, is that as Jeremiah is lowered to the bottom of the cistern, his feet, they sink deep into the thick mud. And we can imagine what he was experiencing, that it was deep and it was narrow, that there is no way down or up or around or out. Jeremiah is stuck. I don't know about you, but I've felt stuck before in my life. But it was only metaphorically. Here, Jeremiah is stuck, literally. Have you ever felt stuck? Like regardless of what you try to do, You just cannot seem to gain any sort of traction. Have you ever felt stuck? Because I look at Jeremiah here, and and yes, he is literally stuck. But there's at least a small part of me that wonders if Jeremiah is also metaphorically stuck. Because he has been so, so faithful to God's call on his life. He has experienced so much pain being faithful to what it is that God has called him to do. He's preached the sermons. He's been hated. He's been despised. He's been persecuted. Now he's been thrown into the bottom of a well to just waste away and die. Jeremiah, I think that, that he would tell you that being, being faithful is, is so hard. And being obedient, it comes with a price. It is not free. And for us, we can be a people who we intend to follow Jesus. Our intentions are so pure, they are so good, we intend to follow Jesus. But yet we still find ourselves stuck. And we look around and we ask the question, why in the world am I stuck? Whenever the answer is, it's because you're angry. It's because you're you're, you're hateful. It's because you're you're prideful. It's because you're full of rage. It's because you're full of malice. It's because you're, you're unwilling to forgive. That's why you feel stuck. It's because we're self centered. It's because we can be self absorbed. That's why we feel stuck. It's because we put our trust in our possessions or any number of wrong places. And that's why we can feel stuck. It's because we live a lifestyle that we know is not the lifestyle that Jesus would desire for us to live, but we continue to do it anyway, just convincing ourselves that we're okay. But that's why we feel stuck. It's because we've allowed the Holy Spirit, to, the disheartening of our heart, and, 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 and we've ignored the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we become stuck. Being obedient, it is not free, but trust me, church, being disobedient costs so much more. So the question is, what do we do when we are stuck? Now, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I can give you a simple answer. We do what's right. We do what's right. Because it's always right to do what's right. It's always right to do what's right. So we surrender our anger. We surrender our hatred. We surrender our malice and our ill intentions. We we offer forgiveness to those who we don't think deserve it. We don't become self-absorbed. We don't become self-centered. But instead, we consider others better than ourselves. We look to God as our soul sustainer and our soul provider. We surrender our lifestyle, our desires, and our will for Jesus and in his will and his desires for our lives. We ask the Holy Spirit to break our hearts of stone. We practice the presence of God. We listen to his leading. And we become better and better at hearing him. It wasn't very long until Jeremiah was rescued from the pit by someone who knew that he was innocent. But guess what Jeremiah did as soon as his feet came back onto solid ground? He went back to preaching the exact same message. In other words... He went back to do what was right. And the second application that I want to make today is that there are some of us in this room, there are some of us in this room who just want our ears itched, but really want to just do away with the word of God in our lives. There are some of us in this room who just want our ears itched, but we really just want to do away with the word of God in our lives. You go back and you see what God said to Jeremiah whenever he was leveling the charges against the people of Judah and telling Jeremiah, here's why I've called you. Here's what God said in Jeremiah chapter 2. He said, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that are not even capable. They cannot hold water. And so what have they done? They reached up and they cut off the source of eternal and never ceasing and living water. And as a result, they dug broken wells that could not even hold water. The task of building a well, of digging a cistern, that is hard, hard work. These people have worked so hard, but their work, their hard work, it was so broken. But their broken work produced the perfect place to stick a profit. They do not want to hear from God anymore, so they cut off the supply, and then they get their their silence. God's word could not be heard. Jeremiah, he had been muted. All because their desire for this broken world was greater than their desire for the living word. Church, there's far too many of us today that our desire for this broken world, this stinky, nasty, broken world, is greater than our desire for the living word. And we work so hard. We work so hard to justify what we know to be wrong. We work so hard to say, well, I'm not that bad. You know, at least I have grace. At least I'm not as bad as that person. We look so, we work so, so hard to justify our behavior that we know is outside of what God would have for us in our lives. And we just keep putting layer of dirt, layer of dirt, layer of dirt on top of what God wants to do in our lives. We're digging, we're working, but we're digging broken cisterns that aren't even capable of holding water. I just look at what's taking place in our world, and I mean the church, we're supposed to be people of good news. But if you ask people outside the church today, what is the church known for? It is not good news. And that's a shame, and it should break our hearts. And yes, we can sit here and we can say, well, that's their problem. They just don't know who we are. But we're never going to reach people with the hope of Jesus Christ, with the good news of Jesus Christ, with that kind of an attitude. And that's our call. Not to be hateful, not to always just stand up and say, I'm right. But Jesus said, people will know that you belong to me when you love others just as I have loved you, right? James, the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, he put it pretty clear. He said, pure and faultless religion, which is, I'm guessing, what all of us are striving for. is to look after orphans and widows, to take care of the vulnerable and those who are hurting and broken. But yet we've been conditioned, and I don't know who I'm even talking to right now. I't I mean this is not aimed at anybody like in particular, this is aimed at the church. I, I just look at it and it's like we've been conditioned that we expect the government to go take care of people. But that's been the church's job for over 2,000 years now. But instead of doing our job so often, we just want to find the, 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 the voices that will come and just cry. Scratch. It feels so good to be told I'm right. It feels so good to be told that I'm in the, that, that I have the moral superiority. It feels so good. <sighs> Man. But a lot of times, it's really hard to make a point of being right and make a difference at the exact same time. And I can tell you, for me and for I mean, as a leader in this church. I want to stand on truth. But I'm more concerned about making a difference than making a point. And I hope we can be a light in the darkness. I hope that we can be a light in this community, that we can have wells and cisterns that are full of the living water that is just overflowing. We buried it so deep in the hurt, this living word, the, 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 this living word. We buried it so deep in the dirt and our hearts have become so hard. we've allowed other voices to take place in the voice of truth and church, we must repent. As an individual basis, we must repent. and as a corporate basis, we must repent. And we may still have consequences for our actions. We may still have, have, have broken relationships that must be mended, but we must take that first step back towards the living word. We must uncover the layers of junk that we've allowed to work its way between us and Jesus. Because when our behavior does not match what we claim to believe, there's a really good chance that that we don't believe what we claim to believe. When we are going against God's plan for our lives, so often our natural reaction is just to stick our head in the sand and just to hope that everything goes away or maybe it's that God will stick his head in the sand and not even recognize what we're doing. But when we do this, we're missing out on so, so much because sometimes what looks like destruction is only making the way for healing. So today, remember, obedience, it is not free church, hear this. Our disobedience will cost so much more. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and I thank you for this opportunity we have today to be able to just God, I hope your heart and hear from your heart. Father, I pray that that you will that you will allow us to be humble enough to be moved by you that there are so many parts of our lives that we try to justify that we know are wrong but we try to justify it. that it's okay will you convict us but Holy Spirit just as much will you convict us of the areas of our lives that we think are right but are actually wrong Will you allow us to be humble enough to be moved by you? Jesus, we need you so, so much. Help us to be a light in the darkness. Help us to be, to, to be people of true good news, that you loved us enough to leave your place on high, to come to this earth, to live a sinless life, to die on our behalf, to, to defeat sin and to, to defeat death, and to give us the hope of newness in your resurrection we be people who prove that we love you in the way that we love others. And we be people of empathy and compassion. Jesus, I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.